If you are going to use one of the green Bibles, uh, now would be a good time to grab it. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at a number of different passages this morning as we consider some key themes from Scripture about what it means to be a disciple. So we won't be looking at just one. We'll be looking at a number of them. And I'll tell you the page numbers when we get to each of the different sections. So as we just heard in the video, discipleship or being a disciple of Jesus is about being a learner. It's about being an apprentice. It's about taking away from God or Jesus something that changes you and the way that you live your life. I've been thinking a lot recently about what it means, what the manifold grace of God looks like in the world. The manifold grace of God, meaning the many, many layers and the fullness of that grace and how we experience it. And one of the things that I find most graceful about God is that God saves us through Jesus. Jesus saves us and then invites us to experience life to the fullest by becoming his disciple knowing the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit who's changing us, but how that's an invitation. It's a command that we are not necessarily obligated to follow in order to receive eternal life. That God saves us and then invites us into a fuller knowledge and experience of him. That's not based, our eternity is not based on how good of disciples we are, right? It's based on the good gift of God so that no one can boast. And so there are people who know Jesus as their Savior, but do not know Jesus as their teacher or as their rabbi. There are people who have saving knowledge of Jesus, but do not become his disciple. And to me, this is a testament to the manifold grace of God that he allows us the freedom to choose to follow him into that fullness of life after he has saved us for the eternity of our lives. But why wouldn't we want to become a disciple then? If it's not a mandatory requirement, but it is the thing that will give our life more meaning here on earth, why wouldn't we want to become his disciple? That's what we're going to spend the next number of weeks thinking about together. And there's a few key things about being a disciple that Scripture tells us implicitly through the stories that it provides us about the disciples. So first of all, 90% of the time that disciples are talked about in the Bible, it happens in the Gospels. So when Jesus and his students are together, or when John the Baptist and his disciples are being talked about. The other 10% of occurrences in the Bible that talk about disciples happen in the book of Acts, so when the early church is being formed. Nowhere in the New Testament letters is the word disciple used, yet that is what discipleship looks like. That is what it looks like to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The New Testament letters are our picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus as a church and as individuals. And the 
there are four kind of key things we're going to talk about this morning. And if you are looking in your worship folder, there's a handout that labels them. So if you take notes, you have a spot this morning. There are four key things that these scripture stories tell us about what it means to be a disciple. That disciples are called. That this life with God is in response to the invitation of God. It isn't self-initiated, but it's in response to God. The disciples practice changed values, customs, and families. So there's a cost involved in our discipleship. The disciples are committed to their teacher, in our case Jesus, who was our rabbi and the disciples, the first disciples' rabbi. And that disciples are commanded to proclaim the kingdom of God in both word and deed. So we're going to see these four themes in a few different scripture passages this morning to understand what it is that Jesus is inviting us to. Now the first one is that discipleship, disciples are called and they respond to the invitation of God to live a new life. Now some of you may have had the experience that a lot of people have, where they find the gospel message uh, exciting or interesting. Or they see the way that the church lives together and they see it as a beautiful, beautiful thing that they don't quite understand the motivation for, but they really like what the church community stands for, life together, sharing resources, looking out for the downtrodden, all those kinds of things. And so they're drawn into the community or they're drawn into a church and to wonder more. And maybe that's part of the coming to faith part, right? Like where we get red hot about following Jesus. But then over time, some of us experience that lukewarm effect on our faith and our life with Christ. The excitement of when we were saved and came to know where our eternity was bringing us has kind of lost its luster for what it means in our daily life. And when that happens, what we are probably hearing from God is an invitation to go deeper, to look to him for more than just being our saving God, but to look to him as our teacher, to look to him into the ways in which he is asking our lives to be all about him. Because a disciple is one who makes a lifelong commitment to following his teacher, to copying her teacher, and to give it all over to what the teacher is teaching. So when we find ourselves going from that lukewarm to even that cold, it's not a matter of finding the safe, saving power of God again. It's a matter of going deeper with him. And understanding, as the New Testament letters talk about over and over again, what it means to be one in whom Christ dwells, to experience the presence of Christ in us. So this can't be self-initiated. This can't, the growth will not happen if you just come for the looks. You will not grow with Jesus if you do not spend time with Jesus. 
You will not be changed by the Holy Spirit unless you seek the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is already at work. So you have to receive that work. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9. It's on page 52 of the second set of page numbers in your Bible. And we're going to begin reading at verse 57. And this section actually gives us the example of three people. So we're going to take them one at a time. So as Jesus and his disciples were going about on the, along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you. Wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So let's stop there for a minute. Here comes a man who has heard about Jesus, obviously, who wants to join because he's interested. So he's self-initiating this conversation with Jesus. And he says, I'm ready. I want to follow you. And Jesus says to him, you have not thought this through, my man. Are you ready? Because foxes have holes. They have a place to sleep. Birds have a place to nest and roost and make a home and a family and a future. But the Son of Man does not have that place here. The Son of Man does not belong in the structures and the ways of this world. There is discomfort for those who choose to follow and take up that cross that I am inviting you to. A disciple is one who throws off the standard of living that the world around them wants to give or proclaim and accepts in its place the one that Jesus lays out. A change in values of what it means to have a home a change in what it means to have a family, a change in what it means to be successful in this world, a change that's based on what Jesus tells us about those things. There is a cost to this call. So another man comes. To another, Jesus says, follow me. So this time God initiates that conversation. But the man said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay, so this one needs a little explanation. So first of all, let's remember that they're on the road. And this man whose father needs to be buried is on the road meeting them. So if your father just died, are you, like, hanging out on the side of the road waiting to encounter Jesus as he's coming through town? No, you're with your family, right? In fact, in this time period and in this culture, this phrase of let me bury my father was actually uh, an idiom that meant something completely different than literally burying a dead father. It meant let me see my obligations of honoring my father and mother through until they die. Let me fulfill the custom of giving all authority to my parents before I give you all authority in my life. And so Jesus says, anyone who's going to be my disciple 
must give me full authority. Anyone who's going to be my disciple must accept a change in their standards for what honors God. Because it's not that honoring your father or mother is a bad thing, right? But it's when that authority becomes more powerful and life-shaping than the authority of God in your life. You are not a disciple of Jesus. You are a disciple of someone else. So disciples come to recognize that Jesus must have in all things the first place. And they must be committed to him and his ways. More than meeting any expectations for those around them. So I don't want you to think that Jesus is like teaching against family values, but he's teaching against family values in the ways in which we have interpreted them to, co- to connect us and to keep us safe. Okay? So the third man comes along. Another said, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. So again, the cultural context will help us here. Think for a moment if you have a young son and he comes home and he's like, hey, I just met this kind of cool guy on the road. I'm going to go. I'm going to like just be with him for a bit. Are you going to say yes? No, you're not going to say yes. A parent is not going to let their child go with someone they don't know into the unknown for some unknown period of time. So what this guy is doing with Jesus, he's saying, yeah, I do. I do want to follow you, but I can't. I have an excuse. My family's not going to let me go. So he's making an excuse. So he's not fully committed to being a disciple of Jesus, and he's using his family as the out. So he's abusing a system that's in place. So disciples must be committed to what God is calling them to do. And this plow imagery is really good because at the time when they plowed, they had to keep one hand on the ox and one hand on the plow to keep it going in a straight line. And apparently there was like this intricate way that they would plow the field so that it would be irrigated properly. And so if you took your eyes off of the animal in front of you, you would mess up the plow lines, which means you would mess up the field, which means you would ruin the crop which means you would ruin your family's livelihood for the season. And so, so Jesus says, you have to be committed to this work because if you're not, you're no use. You're no use. Someone who daydreams in the field is not going to be let back in the field to work by their family, are they? So God calls us, invites us to respond to this invitation tells us that it's going to mean changing our values, changing the customs that we hold to, and he calls us to be committed to a lifelong relationship with him. Because students who become disciples commit their entire lives to following in the way of their teacher. And they obey the commands to proclaim the kingdom of God as this young man was told to do. To proclaim the kingdom of God in word and in deed, as we have come to understand it in Scripture. Let's look at one more story. 
in Matthew 19. So if you turn to page 16 now in your green Bibles, we're going to begin reading at verse 16. Then someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard his words, this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. So here again we have a man who comes seeking to initiate his way into this relationship with God instead of receiving it as an invitation or a call. Because when the invitation and call comes, what does he do? He goes away grieving. Because he can't change his values. He can't fathom changing his customs and his practices and the safety that he has created for himself as being someone who keeps the law and who keeps his possessions. And God says to him, it's not about obedience. It's about receiving from me all that I have to give. Being willing to give it up for what I offer. Being able to commit yourself to something you know nothing about. But diving and learning and growing and becoming more full in that knowledge as I teach you my ways. It's not about obedience. 
It's about receiving from God. And yes, it shows itself in obedience, right? Because when you have changed values and when you have changed customs and when you are committed to seeing something through, there are things that you do in faithfulness and obedience to following. As the disciples have said, Peter says, we gave it all up, God. We did what you were saying we must do. What does that mean for us? And the promise of those who follow after Jesus is to be with Jesus for eternity. When Jesus says, I sit on this throne and you will sit there too. It's that promise of always having God with you. And as a disciple, you learn to seek and see God in all circumstances. Because here's the difference, and this is kind of like the big thing for me today. Here's the difference between somebody who knows Jesus as Savior and someone who knows Jesus in a more full way as both Savior and Redeemer, Sanctifier, Creator, the fullness of God. You know God everywhere. Not just when you cry out to God in despair. Not just when you are in need of rescue. The manifold grace of God is that God is there to rescue, but the manifold grace of God is that he offers so much more than just rescuing. He offers us a new way of living. Turn with me one last time to Luke, Luke 6, page 49. This story gets it. And that's on page 49. Beginning at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, a river burst against that house, but could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. So when you build a life with Jesus as his disciple, you build a strong house so that when the storms come, you're able to say, the kingdom of God is going to be okay. And you're not afraid to cry out and ask for God's rescue, but you have known God before and through and in the storm. And you are strong in faith. That's a beautiful picture of the grace of God, that he answers when we cry out, but he also gives us what we need so that we don't have to always cry out because we'll have built a life with him. I read this therapist this week who described what sanity is. 
and I really like it, and I think it matches with what we hear about a life with God. And the therapist writes that life is an arduous and tragic struggle. Sanity has a great deal to do with competence earned by struggling for excellence, has a great deal to do with compassion, hard won by confronting conflict, and it has a great deal to do with modesty and patience acquired through silence and suffering. And when we hear the call to discipleship from God, we see how God equips us for all of those things. How he gives us what we need in the Holy Spirit to be committed to suffer, to be silent, to put on the character of Christ, which includes patience and meekness and humility and, and, and even modesty. When we see what it means to struggle for the kingdom of God on this earth, we become more competent as his kingdom builders. And when we confront the values and customs that do not belong to Jesus in this world, we find the strength to stand firm because we have built a beautiful life with him. So this is the grand picture of discipleship. Every week won't be like this where we look at multiple texts, but it was important for us to understand that Scripture says much more than just what the literal words say. They say they create this big picture of life as God's chosen people called to experience the abundance that God has to offer by becoming his disciples, ones who study and seek and respond and commit themselves to the ways of Christ. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, as we look at the ways in which you have shaped our religious experience so that we can come to know you more fully as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray for your blessing on us. We're so grateful that you willingly save us when we don't deserve it and when we can't accomplish it on our own. And we're so grateful for the ways in which you Invite us to something more. Invite us to a life that is prepared for hardship because it is a life lived with you. And so, God, we confess that there have been times where we wanted our Christianity to give us a safe place, a harbor, and only a harbor, without remembering that harbors are also ports that send out. And that your grace meets us where we are, but desires to see us go further in our development and life with you. So as we think about what you might be inviting us to, Lord, we ask for your guidance. Holy Spirit, may you show us how Jesus is setting the pace for us, and may we commit to being students, apprentices, disciples, learners, growers, whatever word we want to use of your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.